You are listening to In Daba Down South, a podcast of conscious conversations towards a sustainable, regenerative, and thriving South Africa. I'm your host, Catherine Langsford. We've got to think about industrial agriculture and regenerative agriculture in terms of so much more than food. There's there's this big crisis out there. You know, climate change is just a part of environmental collapse. We've got massive biodiversity loss, problems with the water cycle, all of these things. And we've got to look at all of those things in terms of soil, not just our food production. And what we need to do as farmers is work regeneratively with our soils. Regenerative agriculture is increasingly recognized as a comprehensive solution to not only enrich agrobiodiversity and improve nutrition levels within our foods, but also to support the rebalancing of CO2 levels in the atmosphere. Its advantages go beyond agriculture, and so it is a means of sustaining life in all its forms. Let's find out more from today's guest. Today, we are joined by Andrew Ardington, founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Association of Southern Africa, to discuss the role that regenerative agriculture can play in the production of healthy food while simultaneously mitigating against climate change. So welcome, Andrew. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, how would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? And can you tell us how you got into this work? Okay, so uh, I, I grew up on a farm. My uncle, who farmed on the farm next door to us, was regenerative in his farming before that was something even known. And so I've always been exposed to this. Uh, but then I went into uh, the world of game ranging and tourism and various whole bunch of other things, but ultimately came back to being involved on a farm and then started to implement the systems that my uncle had uh, spoken to me about over the years. Got going with that, and then I started to do more research around that. Uh, And it was then that I realized that this had now become quite a big thing across the globe. There were a lot of people involved in this. It wasn't just my uncle and a few farmers doing their own thing, putting soil at the center of their farming enterprises because that's not what farmers are taught to do. Um, that's not what, what we learn at university. I, I studied agriculture at university. When I studied agriculture, I, a part of my course was soil science. Soil was not taught to us as being a living entity, and carbon was a non-event. And it was just something that appeared on the soil test. You didn't really bother about it. No one really cared what their carbon level was. Today, in our carbon-conscious world, it's now taking center stage, but really, you know, it, it should be around soil. Soil should be taking center stage, uh, and the carbon is, is a part of that. This fitted in with my anxieties at the time around climate change, around environmental collapse, and all of those kind of issues. And I, I got more and more involved and more sucked into it. And I read everything I could. I bought every book I could. I watched all the YouTube videos I could, and gradually move more and more in that direction. I thought I was going to go off and sell up all my city life possessions and go off farming. 
But then I decided, well, that's just one farm that I'll be making a difference on. And really, is there not something more that I can do to make a bigger difference? And, and so in all my readings on regenerative agriculture, I, a, a thing that came up repeatedly was that a lot of these pioneer regenerative farmers, and, and that is really what they are, they, they pioneers going out there and farming in a different way, they feel very lonely. And they are lonely. You know, as one guy said to me, I got to drive for 300 kilometers before I find one farmer trying to solve the same problems in the same way I want to solve them and discuss it with him. And so I thought around an association to bring farmers together to, to enable communication so that they could communicate more easily and and how do we use you know, this amazing tool of virtual communication that we have today to really make people feel less alone and less like they're on an island? And then aside from creating community, we want to create more awareness of regenerative agriculture and find all the different people involved in different aspects of regenerative agriculture and pull them together. And then when new opportunities came into the country, we could get hold of those and, and get all the right players together that could make the most out of those new opportunities. So all of that gave birth to the Regenerative Agriculture Association. Wow, what a journey. That's really interesting. <laughs> uh, let's yeah, begin way. by understanding the relationship between industrial agriculture and regenerative agriculture. So... Regenerative agriculture is problematic in some ways because not actually defined. There is no single definition of regenerative agriculture. And that's a problem in some ways because people can manipulate it and people don't know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about it. But it's also a blessing in some ways because it, it can't get as easily kidnapped and hijacked uh, <laughs> by other parties because it's, you know, it moves and changes a bit. If we take regenerative agriculture as as just being about soil, we shrink it to the soil part of it, because it's it's a bigger thing than that. It's 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 about community. It's about rural community. It's about land. It's about the environment. It's about all sorts of things. But all of those things, they all evolve from soil, and and they they concentric rings that go around soil. And without the soil and the fixing of the soil at the middle, you can't have any of the others. Regenerative agriculture is about working with soil and nature to produce food. Industrial agriculture is works independently of soil. You know, soil is just a medium into which you put your seeds and your chemicals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it holds the plant. We don't, in industrial farming, work on the health of the soil and uh, and looking after that and putting that at the center of the picture. As a result, our soils have deteriorated phenomenally, terrifyingly. You know, the average soil in the world's probably lost between 50 and 70% of its organic matter, which changes its nature entirely. There's a famous book called Dirt to Soil by a regenerative farmer called Gabe Brown. And what we've done over the years with our farming is change soil to dirt. Soil is a living entity with sand and clay and various other commodities that came from rocks. And then on top of that, you have biology. And biology that starts off with the smallest microscopic bacteria 
and then all the way through to earthworms and moles and things that are massive at the, at the other end of the scale, relatively speaking. And all of that life is part of the soil. In industrial agriculture, we reduced the management of soil and food to chemistry and just forgot about the biology. Food is not supposed to be made in, in a lab. It's not a chemistry thing. Food is a, is a biological thing. As intelligent and brilliant as we are, we're actually unable to replicate biology because it is so 360 degrees. Uh, it is so holistic and all-encompassing that, that we are unable to, to replicate it. You know, we're brilliant at solving complex things like sending rockets into space. And we can, we can reduce all the variables and go along and work out all the problems and fix all the problems. But when it comes to holistic complexity, you know, humans don't do very well. It's not our, not our strong point. And so we've tried to do that with food, uh, or before that with agriculture and then food. The results are bad food, but because soil does so much more than make our food, and, and you know, most people don't even think about soil, but when people do think about soil, they just think about food. They don't think about everything else that it does. Now, uh, you know, simple things that it does. And Okay, so let's put what's foremost in everyone's mind at the moment, carbon. Well, the carbon cycle runs through soil. And if your soil is broken, the cycle is going to get broken. And what we have is the situation now is that, you know, enormous quantities of carbon that used to reside in our soils and used to be in the soils as part of the carbon cycles, very slowly being cycled through the soil, but as a large sink of it being in the soil, that's been displaced into the atmosphere. Activities like plowing and farming have, have put about half of the carbon that shouldn't be in the atmosphere in the atmosphere. And so there's one thing that's broken. Now, when you break the carbon cycle, you break the water cycle. Our water cycles are now breaking. And then you have the nitrogen cycle, and the nitrogen cycle is not working, and we're, and we're getting around that by producing enormous quantities of synthetic nitrogen. I don't know if you know now, but the world nitrogen fertilizer price has gone through the roof because it uses so much power, so much energy to be made in the Northern Hemisphere. The prices of natural gas and whatever have gone up. People can't make fertilizer, and so there's a shortage, a global shortage of fertilizer. And all of these things happen as a result of us messing with the soil. We've got to think about industrial agriculture and regenerative agriculture in terms of so much more than food. There's, there's this big crisis out there. You know, climate change is just a part of environmental collapse. We've got massive biodiversity loss, problems with the water cycle, all of these things. And we've got to look at all of those things in terms of soil not just our food production. And, and really where it comes down to it, if you define what is regenerative, it means to, if I work with something in a regenerative nature, I make it evolve as I, as I work with it. And what we need to do as farmers is work regeneratively with our soils so they regenerate, so that they get better and better and don't deteriorate because nothing in nature stays still. It's either getting better or it's getting worse. And everything is regulated by cycles. And when we fiddle with those cycles, things are going to get worse. And we need to work out how to make them get better. And fortunately, we have done it. You know, there are 
there's a combination of things. There's indigenous knowledge that still survives of people who've never started farming with industrial agriculture. So those methods of farming are still in existence. Then we've got uh, in industrial farmers who've changed the way they farm, these pioneers who've worked out how to change their farming system to a way that regenerates their soil, that results in carbon being captured in those soils rather than carbon being released into the atmosphere, that results as water, rainwater becoming effective rainwater by infiltrating into the soil rather than running off the soil and taking soil away with it. Not only does it infiltrate in the soil because there's more organic matter and more carbon in the soil, it holds that water. And the effect of that rain can last for a much longer period. We work this out from, from the smallest garden through to a massive grain farm, 1,000 hectare plus grain farm. People never stopped doing or worked out how to do that regeneratively. We need to realize that it is crucial that we continue to do this. And we expand this because, as I said, soil is not just about making healthy food for you and me. It's got a lot of other work to do. And all of that work, although the average person doesn't know anything about it, is crucial work to planetary stability, to making the planet exist in a state where humans can thrive on it. So soil really is central to all of life, isn't it? It's totally central to all of life. It is, it is really, you know, there's, a, there's an expression, and I don't know who actually did it. It says it's from South Dakota Agriculture Department. It doesn't actually say this. John Smith said this. But, you know, despite all of our brilliance, we owe our existence to six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. And if you take away six inches of topsoil, you cannot live on the plant. A bacteria and fungi and algae and simple plant forms can live on the plant, but no higher level beings, no human beings, no none of the big well-known animals, most of the trees, most of, most of everything can't exist. Um, so it really is at the core of it all. And you know, what we need to, as, as farmers, is look upon ourselves as being soil farmers. So people always said, you know, I'm a, I'm a maize farmer or I'm a, a cattle farmer, I'm a beef farmer, or I'm a dairy farmer. And then, you know, people a while ago started to talk about, well, actually, I'm a grass farmer. I'm not a beef farmer. I farm grass and make beef from that. But actually, we need to look upon ourselves as being soil farmers. We farm the soil and the life in the soil enables all of these other things to happen. Organic agriculture has really been a trend in the last few decades. Uh, why is organic agriculture not enough for sustainability? Why do we need to go in the direction of regenerative agriculture? Organic agriculture can be a fit under the regenerative umbrella, but it doesn't necessarily have to. And this is what happened if 40 years ago in the United States, the organic movement started. And I'm just going to use the United States as an example because it's the most well-documented the corporate invasion of it is, is most well highlighted there. It was developed as this premium product and it was all around healthy for people because it didn't use these poisons. And so then it got warped into not being about those poisons rather than organic production. 
and organic production in its proper self is regenerative. It can be manipulated as it was manipulated by corporate entities into being an extractive type of farming, just not using the list of banned chemicals. So you, you go and mine rock phosphate and various other forms of fertility and you bring them onto your farm and you dump them on your farm. So now those aren't man-made, but they're still imported inputs into your farm that you're dumping on your farm. You're not relying on having a functional ecosystem there. So it's not like to say organic is not regenerative. Organic can be regenerative. And it's not like to say regenerative is better than organic. Regenerative and, and organic are part of the same team. It's just commercial interests have warped organic and made it abusable. And so you can farm organically, i.e. get the tick, I'm an organic farmer by this certification, while not looking after your soil. That's not the intention of the guys who started organic farming in a reaction to industrial farming. If we look at permaculture, permaculture is another type of organic farming, more has a, a list of things you want to aspire to rather than you can't use. But in some ways, both of these movements fell out with the commercial farmers and it became antagonistic relationship there. We, we need to work on how do we get more conventional farmers to change to farming naturally and organic permaculture and various other things, agroecology, farming God's way, all of these things are, are different forms of natural farming and regenerative agriculture is another form of natural farming. But at the core of them, they all have principles around soil management and soil management without having to use excessive external inputs, soil management without having to use chemotherapy in order to keep the plants alive. In some ways, I think that regenerative agriculture has the capacity to link uh, conventional agriculture through to organic agriculture. Sadly, in the United States, there's been this concept that regenerative is beyond organic. And I think that's missing the boat. I think that the world doesn't need regenerative to be beyond organic. The world needs to move people from being entirely dependent on external inputs into their farm towards positions where they can become less and less dependent on external inputs and ultimately live in a state where they rely in totally on the original classic version of organic, which is organic inputs. Everything cycling all the organic inputs on farms to reduce the external inputs required for the fertility of, of plants. On that point of moving farmers from conventional forms of agriculture into regenerative agriculture, how prevalent is regenerative agriculture in South Africa? So regenerative agriculture is, is still very small. You know, there are a number of small farmers who are changing that and, and doing classical regenerative agriculture and introducing animals onto their farms and rotating animals and having stacked enterprises and working out how to get the cycles of their farm running. We then have big commercial grain conventional farmers who are slowly changing the way they farm. Conservation agriculture is probably at about 15% in South Africa and regenerative agriculture is probably at about 1% of, of big commercial conventional farmers. 
they're basically there are five principles of soil management in uh, regenerative agriculture and conservation agriculture has three of the five as its three principles it's called conservation agriculture because it conserves soil it stops farms losing so much soil to give you a horrific stat here in south africa for every one ton of millies we produce we lose three tons of soil to soil erosion you don't need to be a soil scientist to work out that that's going to end badly this was a global problem and the response to this was to develop conservation agriculture and conservation agriculture primarily starts off with no-till so you don't plow the land you don't turn the land over with heavy machinery and you don't do that because that makes the land more friable and more easily able to be blown away by wind and rain but the there's a big other benefit of that is that every time you plow the soil you break all the communication between the soil living organisms inside the soil which is done by fungi so the fungi of the soil is the communication networks of the soil and by tilling you you break all of that up so conservation agriculture is is step one don't turn the soil over leave it the same in the 1970s no till planters were developed uh, this is a planter which enables you to put your seeds in the ground without having turned the soil over secondly you want to do a rotation of crops you don't want to just do mealies 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 you want to do mealies soyas sunflowers various other crops and then finally you want to also introduce cover crops cover crops green manure green manure was a well known concept 70 years ago it was the only way you could put fertility back in the soil was to grow crops a cover crop as opposed to a cash crop a cash crop is a crop you're going to harvest to sell to make money a cover crop you're growing to cycle nutrients in your soil and to add more organic matter to your soil that was known as green manure we now call it a cover crop and so yeah those three things come together to make conservation agriculture and conservation agriculture was introduced to reduce our massive erosion problems all over the world that has been here in south africa for a long time and it is is grown within south africa but it's still only adopted nationwide probably at a rate of around 20% of farmers are working with conservation agriculture to move then to regenerative agriculture there's a lot more emphasis placed on the cover crops and on having a living plant in the soil all the time so one of our biggest problems with conventional agriculture if you drive around where mealy fields are or where wheat fields are for 8 months of the year there's nothing growing in the field and the soil is being clobbered by the sun and the wind and water are taking the soil away and so what you want is to plant crops that are going to be in the soil even if they're not growing that well through the that, that part of the year those eight months of the year when when there's nothing there and that's the concept of having a living root in the ground that's what feeds the soil we, you know we've had this concept of bare fallow where we leave fields fallow with nothing growing in them and we think we're resting them but well, we are resting them but they don't need rest they need food that's an evolution that we need to to go from bare fallow to having some plants there that are feeding the soil And then a the final step with regenerative crop farming is to reintroduce animals. 
before we had the invention of fertilizer and before it became readily available, which was really only after World War II, when all the, uh, all the ammunitions, all the munitions factories were able to be quickly turned into fertilizer factories because the same process of making gunpowder is used to make fertilizer. And suddenly, fertilizer became an available commodity. But prior to that, you had to have animals on the farm because the animals were the things that took all the vegetative matter and processed it and put it back into the soil and inoculated it with bacteria and fungi that made the whole fertility cycle keep going on, on in the soil. You know, step five of regenerative agriculture is, is to bring animals back onto the farm. Once you've harvested the mealies, they can go in there and eat what's left over, and then they put in the fields to eat cover crops. Some farmers are having grass come back for a period in the field to help restore the field, and the animals graze that, and then you go back to having the cash crop and part of your rotation. So we've got a lot of work to do. We've got to convert a lot of hectares to fix the situation. You've spoken elsewhere about iScore, uh, which is a rapid environmental and social impact measurement tool. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I'm involved with uh, an organization called Integra, and Integra is made up of a number of people who are uh, very invested in regenerative agriculture. Some of them are academics, others of them are scientists, others of them are agronomists. One thing we, when dealing with with farms is farmers said, well, these are regeneratively minded farmers that how do we measure ourselves? That's uh, was the start of the iScore. And the iScore started to be a tool so that a farmer could take a quick assessment of, of their farm and then a year later take it again and a year later take it again and see if on these various indicators that we had decided were important indicators of the environmental functioning of the farm, whether they were improving or not. That's how it began. We've now started doing extensive studies on it on Karoo Farms under the auspices of a company in that umbrella called iLink. iLink is, is doing these studies of these farms to compare how farmers are doing environmentally. It did start almost exclusively as a tool for farmers to measure themselves, but it is now developing a way for farmers to show, not just to themselves, but to other people, that they're on a regenerative path. So farmers tend to undertake a journey towards regenerative farming. It's not a simple swap from industrial agricultural practices to regenerative ones. Is there a typical path that farmers follow on this journey in terms of changing over from one form to the other? One of the things about regenerative farming is that it's not a recipe, okay? It's not like you go to the co-op and you buy these chemicals and you put them on in this ratio and your crop will grow if it rains. It's not a recipe. It's, it's each area, each farmer, each everything is different. It's a level of interaction with your farm. And so it all, that whole entity of the farmer, the farm, the soil, the state of the soil, the state of deterioration of the farm, all of those things come together. 
the majority of farmers that have come there came there because something happened, a realization, a moment where something was wrong and whether it was a big fire or there was droughts, if it was a personal problem that occurred, they changed the way they thought. Some, some farmers, they just feel it's wrong to be putting that many chemicals and synthetic products into the soil. A very big movement here in South Africa is farming God's way, or Southern Africa, Zimbabwe. A lot of people in farming God's way have come there by going, well, the soil is God's creation and we keep pouring poison into it. And, and that's not the way one should treat God's creation. So there are lots of different avenues by which people have come to this. These avenues start a change of mindset. People start to look and to search and to want to change. And then they start to experiment. And there's a massive amount of experimentation in this. And we need to be incredibly grateful to these pioneer farmers and, and the experimentation they've done on their own. There's a much higher responsibility around management on a regenerative farm than there is on a conventional farm. There's more daily management required. You're not just implementing somebody else's recipe. You know, it's like conceptualizing and cooking a meal without using a recipe book, as opposed to reading a recipe, buying the ingredients, cooking, cooking the meal. You know, you're doing the same thing at the end of the day, but it's a very different all-round experience. And the one requires a lot more thought, a lot more time, a lot more creative input than the other. There's this journey that takes place there. One of the barriers, a big barrier, is people are scared of change. They don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm doing all right here, and I could end up crashing the whole ship and losing the family farm if I change. So that's a big barrier. Another big barrier is, is money the cost of, of changing a system, the dangers that it, you know, there might be a drop in production while I change systems, and I can't afford to do that. One thing we as a broader society need to do, people who are concerned about the fact that 99% of South African farmers are farming in a way that's not building soil, we need to be concerned about that, and we should be focusing our minds on investing on that and, and helping solve the financial problems around helping people to change when they're ready to change. When a farmer starts to change, you know, they mustn't go cold turkey. That's, that's not a great idea. They, you know, they want to start gradually changing things and experimenting and learning and seeing how it works for their farm. But as importantly for them, there are different kinds of regenerative farming, different systems, different levels of intensity, you as the farmer, you need to, to look at what we refer to as your context, your, the whole picture, and you are a part of that context. So if you don't have the personality to move your cows six times a day, don't investigate regenerative farming that requires you to move your cows six times a day. Investigate regenerative farming that requires you to move them once a day. Are there other barriers or challenges that farmers face on the journey? Yeah, there are many, many barriers. I mean, there's, there's access to knowledge. There are very few consultants out there uh, in South Africa who can help you hold your hand through this process. 
most of the information that's out there, whether it's from academia or from uh, consultants, comes from the chemical recipe. Those are the people who've gone out there. They've done the education around their products. They've educated the extension officers. They've educated the salesmen. They've educated the farmers around farming that way. There are very few people available to tell you to do it another way. That said, there are, in South Africa, people who can help you do this. And there are people who, who do produce products, biological stimulants, to help farmers transition, to add to the soil and to the plants, to give the plant what is missing from those soils while the soils are recovering from having been dominated by chemical inputs. I'm interested to know more about farmers who've used indigenous agricultural practices, ones who haven't ever moved over to conventional commercial farming practices. And is there much intersection or integration between farmers who've always been using the natural way and farmers who are now taking up regenerative agriculture? Internationally, I think there are lots of examples of that, especially from South American countries, to Asian countries, where the, these farmers have, have existed continuously in large numbers and continue to be able to farm. Sadly, here in South Africa, our history resulted in such incredible disturbances of indigenous farming. Very little indigenous farming actually was still taking place. There's not much indigenous knowledge that remains here in South Africa. Sadly, there is no crossover of information taking place. The combination of colonialism and apartheid pretty much ended that in South Africa. There's a small bit of subsistence agriculture taking place in what we refer to as, as the old homelands. It's not much, and a lot of it has already been years ago invaded by government grants of fertilizer and the like. That's a big loss of that knowledge and all that information. It seems that we need to do a lot of work to advocate for regeneration there as well. There are indigenous plants that people farmed. Most of us would refer to them as weeds. And there are people who've been cataloging these plants and how people use them and recipes that people use them in to cook with what their nutritional value is and what, what you know, how they can help and how they grow in areas where you know, other crops don't grow, you know, areas that are too dry or areas you know, that just aren't right. Firstly, nature and then people have been growing these crops or these plants in those areas. But it's quite a long road to shift people's eating habits and the farmers aren't going to grow it until the eating habit shifts. <laughs> And the eating habits aren't going to shift until the farmers are growing it. So it's, it's a long road. Is that information publicly available on the indigenous crops? Some of it's publicly available. There's actually a, a book that was produced by some people in KwaZulu-Natal called Nandi, which deals with indigenous plants and recipes. It's, it's definitely very small, but there's potential. I live here in Cape Town, and I know from going to meet a few small organic farmers, for the Zimbabwean people living here, the Zimbabweans like certain herbs and things. 
that aren't available. And so some of these organic farms are growing those and Zimbabweans in Cape Town are flocking there to buy the stuff that they ate when they grew up at home. Sure, that's fascinating. Are there any success stories around regenerative agriculture? Any stories that stand out to you as really giving you promise of what the potential is? Uh, here in South Africa or globally? Yeah, you can go to regenerative farms and they feel different when you walk onto them. They feel alive. You hear bugs. You see different species of plants. The famous American regenerative farmer, Gabe Brown, he said, you know, I used to be a conventional farmer and I used to wake up every day and think to myself, what am I going to kill today? Am I going to kill fungi or am I going to kill weeds or am I going to kill insects or what am I going to kill? And now I wake up and I think to myself, how am I going to make more life on my farm? Yeah, when you go onto farms that are alive, that are buzzing, that the animals mixed with crops, you feel a difference and, and the insect life is, is come back because firstly, the animals mixed with crops. So that combination is making food for insects, which is making food for birds, which is bringing them back. Secondly, the poisons are gone. So the insects aren't getting killed. The birds aren't getting killed together. Those things make the experience very di different. It feels alive. You can go into thousands of hectares where mealyfield touches mealyfield. There are no trees, there are no bushes. You don't hear insects. The whole cycle of life has been disrupted. We're producing one crop in an area that used to grow, I don't know, hundreds of different things. We're producing that one crop on chemotherapy, and there is no cycle of life. It's just, it's a factory. So farmers would need to address monocropping in their own agricultural practices when they enter into regenerative agriculture? Yeah, definitely. If you look at industrial agriculture and regenerative agriculture, the first things people will go to are, are tillage, plowing, and chemicals, synthetic fertilizers. Monocropping comes as a big third. Nature is, is controlled and stabilized by diversity. And that's its strength and its ability for bits to die off and others to grow back and, and cycles to happen. There's no structure in the soil. There's no life in the soil. There's no continuous cycling in the soil. It's just your mealy crop goes in and four months later, it's terminated. And for most fields, that's, that's the end of what happens in that field for that year. There's no continuity. If we want to be able to do things like reduce synthetic inputs, have to bring diversity back because diversity above ground, diversity of plants leads to diversity below ground, diversity of the microorganisms in the soil that make the soil function, that mine the minerals and things that plants need from the soil and make it bioavailable to give to the plants. All of that stuff's not going to be there unless what's going on above ground is changing and includes annuals and perennials and includes cover crops and flowers and not just cash crops, and everything keeps and cycling along. Soil is about so much more than growing us food. All those other aspects of soil, that whole circle of life, the soil food web as it's referred to, all of that's got to be there 
in order for these other things to be happening. The monoculture needs to include not just millies today, soya's tomorrow, millies the next day, soya's the next day. That's a crop rotation. We need to include cover crops and diverse cover crops. We need to introduce parts of farms that have permaculture on them, permanent culture of, of plants. You know, whether those are grasses or trees or orchards or whatever, creating, once again, the circle of life, but also creating homes for insects. The most insects that occur on farms are, in, if you look at species-wise, they're actually there eating other insects and eating other pests. You know, that's how pests control each other. And by, by us doing monocultures, all we're doing is providing a massive amount of food for the bad guys and no habitation for the good guys. If we look back in retrospect sometime in the future, we will realize that annual monoculture was not a great idea when it comes to keeping the planet stable enough for humans to live on it. What support or policies are needed in South Africa for regenerative agriculture to flourish? What do we need from government or from uh, universities, uh, training institutions, civil society? It's a global problem, the lack of support for regenerative agriculture. In some places, the government are actually speaking about supporting it, but then doing things against it, providing subsidies for for chemical applications, providing subsidies for synthetic fertilizer, providing insurance for crops that are grown by a certain recipe. While they're talking it, they're not actually living it. It's like with climate change. You know, the, the, the governments in the world that are talking climate change, this climate level carbon, this we must reduce. At the same time, they're subsidizing fossil fuels. And the problem in academia is it's, it's multifaceted. A, lot, a large amount of the research is funded by the, the chemical companies, the synthetic companies, the agribusiness, the guys who've made all the money out of agriculture in the last 50 years. If you look what's happened, agricultural income to agriculture and what percentage has gone from being going into the farmer's pocket to now going into agribusiness's pocket, it's enormous. Then agribusiness is paying the universities to do the research it wants the universities to do. There's nobody else paying the universities to do the research on regenerative agriculture. And then there's, there's the mindset. We're good at sending rockets into space. We're not good at solving complex biological problems. That, you, know, you, you can't control all the variables because if you start controlling variables, well, you're messing with the experiment. It's difficult to study because you can't take the variables out of the equation. There needs to be a rethinking in science, and science needs to reevaluate this and go, well, how do we measure what's going on, okay, without removing all the variables? There's a group in the United States that started by some rebel scientists uh, called Ecdysis, and, uh, you know, they say they've been doing this for six years, and they still have to remind themselves when they get onto a farm that they are there to measure what the farm is doing. They're not there to make the farmer do the experiments they want the farmer to do. And, and it's that mindset change that needs to change. They're here to test regenerative farming. They're not here to do some experiments. It's like the one experiment, the farm, they said, well, in order to do this, we want you to do a trial. We want you to plow this field. 
And the farmers, are you crazy? I haven't plowed any of my fields for 20 years. And now you're telling me to plow my field. Get lost. You want plowed fields? Go to my neighbors. They all plow their fields all the time. <laughs> um, and so you know, it's a, you need it. Everyone needs a change in mindset. The farmers are going to change their mindset. The scientists are going to change their mindset. The government has to change its mindset. Everyone's got to change their mindset to, to allow biology and we live on a biological we are sustained by biology we're not sustained by chemistry chemistry is important chemistry is part of the equation but you can't take the biology out if you take the biology out the whole thing will fall to pieces the photosynthesis which is the only reason we have is a biological process yeah we need to start thinking and changing and you know just like there are farmers who are thinking and changing there are scientists out there who are thinking and changing changing the way they measure things doing the experiments on farm. At, at Dysis, they on a small farm. They have a lot of scientists there working in their laboratories. But every scientist has to be doing farming also. You've got to go and feed the chickens in the morning before you sit down and analyze your lab results. Or you've got to go and harvest the honey or plant the, the vegetables or harvest the vegetables before you sit down and analyze your lab results. And that's part of their thing. It's like, we've got to break our mindset. It all comes down to putting soil at the center. And until farmers, scientists, and government realize that, they're not going to be doing what we need them to do. The key to seeing real transformation within agriculture in South Africa is to make this movement relevant to the greater public, to make it resonate with people who are not farmers themselves, but who want to make a difference in terms of sustainability, climate change, and food systems. What can we do as individual consumers to support regenerative farming? And how can we contribute to this transformation? That's a difficult question because it's quite hard. Um, th there was a recent study done in the UK. It was like, what can be done for us to help with climate change? And most people answered recycling and that kind of answer. Switching off the power station is going to help with climate change. Recycling is another whole set of problems that's involved in environmental collapse, but it's not actually going to make a change to climate change right now. As I said, the, the regenerative farming is very small at this stage, and it's quite hard for people to access regenerative products, as is the case with organic. And there are a number of people who've been working to help in that regard, and the, the little organic shops appearing all over the place. The organic movement here in South Africa has been very proactive in driving the PGS, which is the Participatory Guarantee Scheme which rather than having some big expensive international body coming and saying, you know, yes, Catherine, your farm is organic. You're going to get our sticky label and you can go and sell your vegetables for twice the price. The PGS is, is a community of farmers verify each other via the standards set by the organization. And then they're able to, to start saying, I'm PGS guaranteed as being an organic producer. So that has increased the access to organic food in South Africa, but it's still a very small part of it. In Cape Town, there are a number of food clubs that have started where people club together. There's a host who organizes it and they source regenerative food because it's very difficult to do by yourself. You know, you're going to have to spend a huge amount of time 
got to go find regenerative vegetables and then regenerative pasta and then regenerative meats and then whatever, and some of it's not available, and then you want to find organic products for your detergents and organic shampoo, and that's a full-time job almost, finding all of that stuff and sourcing it. People are forming buying clubs, a food club, to do that together and be able to thereby make this available to a larger group of people. You know, mostly what we need is for people to understand and for people to put pressure on Woolworths and Pick and Pay and Checkers and Spa and whoever else we're buying. Those four companies, they sell 65% of the food in the country. That's the real power there. And we educate ourselves and we understand that unless we grow our, our food in this way, not only are we going to have less healthy food, we're also going to have a dysfunctional water cycle, a dysfunctional carbon cycle, various other dysfunctional carbon cycles, and we're going to lead to destabilizing the planet. We need to collectively start putting pressure on all of those companies. And the people inside those companies who know this stuff need to start putting internal pressure to convert that thinking. And the investors in these organizations need to start putting pressure on those organizations. If I look here at the work we're doing here in South Africa, all the pressure is coming from Europe. The pressure on the fruit industry to change the way it produces fruit is coming from Europe. Pressure on nut producers is coming from Europe. The pressure on wool producers is coming from Europe. Understandably, the average South African has probably far too many problems to worry about whether they're eating healthy food or not. But as I said, this is a lot more than healthy food. This is eating a healthy planet. That's what we've got to understand this at. It's that big. It's not just about meat. We're losing our soil. That's going to be as detrimental to you as any chance you might have of getting cancer from that apple that's been sprayed with various chemicals. We need to get more people understanding this, whether those people are farmers or consumers or government or, or retailers. Is it the responsibility of those retailers to be selling food that's healthy for the, the planet? These things are difficult. Getting this messaging out is very difficult. If you look at the moment, the world is obsessed with CO2. If you look at the other campaign that's been so successful is straws. You know, if I look at my seven-year-old son and I tell him, how do you fix the planet? He says, stop, we'd stop using straws. That is actually a campaign against single-use plastics. The next campaign needs to be about soil. Because all of these things are in soil. Whether it's CO2, whether it's water vapor and water cycling problems, it's all involved in, in, in soil. What we need to do is we need to become educated to how big this is and how it all ties into everything. Biology, everything is connected to everything. The planet is habitable by human beings because of biology. Try to buy organic regenerative food. Be aware of, of all of the stuff we buy. <laughs> we buy so much stuff. It all ties into it also. You can go along and you can buy regenerative food or you know, even better, regenerative organic food. But if we carry on buying a load of junk, it's not going to help us. And so all of these things tie together. Yeah, we just got to all live simpler lives.
Are you hopeful for the future of agriculture in South Africa? I'm very hopeful. This is a solution to many, many problems. Agriculture is the only industry that can be carbon negative. There's nothing else you can do that can be carbon negative. We can change the way we farm. And farming can be carbon negative and make that much of a positive impact. Sadly, there are a lot of farmers who are in a lot of financial trouble because conventional farming is debt farming. You have to borrow money for seed. You have to borrow money for diesel. You have to borrow money for fertilizer. You have to borrow money for chemicals. And all of those things, the meniscus line of their debt is going up and down over their mouth and nose the whole time. And people are being pushed to change. And now what's happening is the world fertilizer price has gone through the roof. The world chemical price has gone through the roof. And these things are, are sad for a lot of farmers because they're going to put farmers under a huge amount of financial pressure. They also give us more motivation. Remember, farmers are pushed to change the way they think. If things are going well and they're in their comfort zone, they're not going to change the way they farm, you know, unless they've had some other domestic moment where they met somebody who, you know, highlighted you know, how bad nitrogen fertilizer is for the world. And then they decided to change. That's the exception. Yeah, these things are going to push people to ask more questions, to inquire more. Thank God for these pioneer farmers, these people who dotted all around the country are showing that this can be done. Because one of the, the stock phrases against when you speak to people about regenerative agriculture, it can't be done in my area. And it can't be done until it can be. <laughs> the fact that we're having this conversation is a good thing. Farmers are talking on social media. And these conversations are happening all over the place. So yeah, we've got a long, long way to go. And coupled with, with the pressures of our world, external pressures that are coming, whether we, we want them to or not, I think there's going to be more and more change happening all the time. Andrew, thank you for a fascinating but challenging conversation. How do people connect with you or follow the work that you're doing? Um, so we've got a, a website, regenagsa.org.za, and then we've also got the Regenerative Agriculture Association of Southern Africa Facebook group where interesting conversations happen. People can sign up and become members of the association on our website, join our mailing list and get in contact that way. Those are our primary channels of communication, the website and Facebook. Thank you. Thanks again. A pleasure, Catherine, and good luck with what you're doing. And I look forward to, to many more regenerative conversations. You've been listening to Indaba Down South. For more information and links to the resources mentioned in this episode, visit our website indabadownsouth.org.za or follow us on Instagram and Twitter for updates at Indaba Down South. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever podcasts are available. 
Thanks for joining us today. Here's to a sustainable, regenerative, and thriving South Africa.